Hey, welcome to the rundown. Uh, Brick Performing Arts, everything that's happening at Brick in the Performing Arts world. This is BJ. I'm here again with my co-host Elizabeth. Hello. And our producer Mark. Hello. And artist Kamala Sankaram. Hi, Kamala. Hi. Uh, real quick, what were we just listening to, Elizabeth? That was so fun. I'm ready to party. That was uh, Makumba, and they are from Zimbabwe. They're like an Afrofusion funk band. Um, Afrofusion funk? Yeah. I love the alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> and they're our first artists for our Brick House sessions that kick off in February, so they'll be performing on the 22nd with Opened by Mandingo Ambassadors, who's also a very fun band but it should be a very dancey event so yes. everyone should come. I'm so ready that sounds so fun that's February 22nd yes okay super uh, well before that we also have a couple of brick labs in the building right so uh, for anyone who doesn't know brick lab is our artist residency program artists that are um, in the music dance theater multidisciplinary vein they come into the artist studio which is our smaller space in the building They essentially take over that space for two weeks to use it however they would like to, to, I say, to answer questions about the work. So it's projects that are in the middle stages somewhere. So maybe they've done some work on it, had a workshop that it's uh, past the embryonic stage and they've realized, hmm, I have a few questions about this that I cannot answer unless I'm in a space with some time, with some tech, with some other people. And they work for two weeks very, very hard. And then at the end of those two weeks, we do work in progress showings on Thursdays and Fridays. And we call them work in progress showings because they are just that. It is not a finished performance. It is not a show. It is a piece of an idea. It is a sketch. It is a part of it. It is a, a proposal for how they want the work to continue. And then we follow that up with a dialogue with the audience. And they often take a lot of that feedback from the audience. And they uh, apply it to their work in the future. And then it continues on, that process of more develop, more development, more questions to be answered. And ultimately, you know, for a lot of these pieces, they will end up being fully produced. But sometimes the answer to the question is, ooh, I probably shouldn't work on that anymore. And that's okay, too. Uh, so with that said, our first Brick Lab artist of the season is Kamala Sankaram, who, like I said before, is in the studio with us. Hello, Kamala. Hello. How are you? I am okay. Yeah. <laughs> so currently in it, this is week two of your two-week residency, and you are deep in the process. Yes, yes. Okay. So the piece is called Looking at You. Yes. Is that a working title or is that the title? I think that is the title now. Oh, exciting. Yeah. And I will have you hope, um, if you don't mind, talk about the work. But as far as I know, my understanding is that it is a techno-noir opera looking at privacy in the digitized world. Yes. So can you say more about that? Sure. Um, so to, to understand how this piece sort of came about, we should have to talk about uh, my collaborator, Rob Handel. Uh, Rob and I met in a composer librettist workshop through American Lyric Theater, which is based here in New York. And it was uh, 2013, and the Snowden revelations had just happened, and mm. both of us were kind of, you know, just flabbergasted by that, of course, as everybody was. And, you know, because we were in this writer's group, we thought maybe we should make a piece about it, but it didn't actually fit that writer's group. So we kept in touch after that, and um, 
we decided we wanted to try and make a piece dealing with the issues that Snowden had raised, but not necessarily about Snowden himself. You know, the challenge for, for making something like an opera or a musical is the life cycle is very, very long. And um, the technology and the issues change so rapidly that we wanted to find a way to get at what the essential questions were without tying it to a specific time or place necessarily. Um, so the piece has sort of been evolving over time since then because we weren't sure we were going to have a Snowden character. We knew that we wanted to deal with how social media was changing the way that people interact and what their ideas about privacy were. Um, and so that's sort of where we started. And of course, as time has gone on, as the technology has changed, there have been this whole other raft of issues that have come up, such as the role of social media in spreading disinformation, the weaponization of information that's put online, the sort of black box nature of algorithms and how even the people who have made them don't know what they're doing anymore. And so all of those things have found their way into this piece. And along the way, one of the things that we knew that we wanted to do was to find a way to confront people with the fact that so much of their information was readily available online. And that was going to be the biggest piece of the puzzle. Um, I have a background in uh, cognitive psychology, and my dissertation research was on how people read news online. And this, of course, was before all of the stuff with Facebook and the 2016 election. So that that's always fascinated me. And then Rob, uh, my librettist, he works at Carnegie Mellon University, which is a hub for all of this tech stuff. And one of his colleagues is a technologist named Alessandro Oquisti, who specializes in issues of privacy in the online environment. So it made sense for Rob to approach Alessandro and talk to him about this crazy idea that we'd had, um, which he did. So... All of this is to say that, that, you know, we've been working on this idea for a very long time and um, we knew what the story was going to be. We sort of loosely based it on Casablanca, the idea that um, all of the film noir genre is similarly about how technologies have this this sort of secret power that they might destroy all of us. Like if you look at many of these like... Um, Kiss Me Deadly is one of my favorite ones in that that has this very nuclear terror baked into the whole idea of yes. the film. Yes. Um, so we thought going back to the film noir genre would be a way to reference the, the fear of technology that's, that's there in the world right now, but that we haven't really come up with a name for yet. Mm. Um, so... So the, the piece is sort of based around Casablanca. It borrows from crime jazz. It has opera. It has electronic dance music in it because I'm interested in sort of the tension between the real and the digital as a metaphor for what's going on. So we had made all this music, and then we'd been talking with Alessandro about how we might actually data mine people who came into the show and put their information in the show with the idea that seeing their personal photos and their kids on screen when, you know, maybe it would make people think twice about putting so much information about themselves out there. Um, so this has been the idea from the beginning, but we, you know, we didn't know how we were going to do it, really. We knew that it could be done, but how to do it. And so that's what this workshop is about, is mm -hmm. we've been working with uh, Alessandro and another technologist named Ralph Gross from Pittsburgh, and then also Joe Holt and Daniel Dickinson from Bandcamp.com. Oh, wow. And... Um, they have built us a server that takes this information and puts it into the video design. And that's what we're testing this week. Whoa. So let me see if I understand this. The folks who come into your show, you'll 
take their information somehow during the show and and show it back to them? Yes. It's surprisingly easy to find things about people. (laughs) (laughs) If we have your name and your email address, we just confirm that it's you. And all of a sudden, we can see everything you've put on Facebook, unless you are one of the people who sets it to private, which most people aren't. We can usually find out where you've worked, where you live, um, sometimes how old you are, sometimes the names of your kids or your pets. so what we're going, what we're doing is, there. This this show is actually functioning also as a form of research for Alessandro because he's very interested in, you know, what do people do when they see that that it's so easy to to find this information about themselves. Yeah. So there are two parts to it. One is, can we scare you? And two, what does it look like if you're scared? Do you get scared? Um, so when people come in. We are going to offer them a free drink in exchange for them signing our terms of service agreement. And as we all know, most people don't actually read those things. So so true. By signing it, you give us permission to take your information and put it in the show. Wow. That is brilliant. (coughs) That's so have you. It sounds like this is the first time you've done that specific thing. So you don't know yet how people react when they're scared. Exactly. Fascinating. (laughs) Uh, So. Part of the project is assessing what they do or how they feel or what they say upon seeing themselves. Yes. So part of it is risk assessment, mm. you know, mm-hmm. because we want to find what the edge is. You don't want to to hurt people in any way. You don't want to cause harm. But then at the same time, you do want to scare people enough that they take action. Um, so what is the edge? I mean, Rob and I, in our writers group, we experimented a little bit with the other artists, but they were all like, please put my information in the show. I don't care. <laughs> put it all up there. So, so, you know, you have to wonder if, if regular people are going right. to have a different reaction. Yeah, yeah. And so besides that very specific technical technological element, what would you say you would want folks from your show to take away from it besides the fear? Um, I just uh, You said that it's a, a show about being human, a show that's not just about Edward Snowden. What, what do you want your audience to feel or to think afterwards? Well, I think at its heart, I mean, this is, this is always a question when you're doing kind of socially motivated work or work that is triggered by mod- like contemporary issues, is how do you make it something that's going to still be universal and that would have a life even 20 years from now? And I think the way to do that is to look at what the heart of the issue is. And for us, that's, that's the lack of connection. And mm-hmm. um, this is really a love story at the center of it. Um, like in Casablanca, there's a love triangle. But here, our Rick is a woman who is the head of, uh, she's a CTO for a social media company. And she has to decide if she is going to uphold her ideals and save her former lover, who has become the world's most famous whistleblower, mm. or if she's going to hold on to this life that she's built for herself and turn him over to the authorities. I love that. And so, do you self identify as a musical theater writer? I'm not sure. the The work that I make tends to fall somewhere between opera and musical theater. Okay. But I mean, I think it's really kind of an outdated convention that there's such a strict divide between mm-hmm. the two. Mm-hmm. Um, musical theater is really the American form of opera, and the differences now are, are simply: is it through song, and what kind of vocal style are you using? And now that people are experimenting with both of those things, I don't think there's such a huge divide between the two. That's great. I love that. 
And how do you feel as a woman in this field, this musical theater, opera field, uh, as a writer? Do you feel represented? Do you feel like things are changing? Do you feel like you see other women around you writing shows? Yes. And, you know, the, the answer to that question could take up a whole other podcast. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do think that things are slowly changing. But, I mean, even in the field of opera right now, we're having the same conversations. Like, where are the women? Why is it that, you know, you can get a black box chamber production but not main stage? Why is it that out of the major A-level companies, you know, there's maybe one female. Why did it take the Met 100 years to program another woman composer? I mean, for since 1916 till last year, there was one woman, Ethel Smythe, and then last year, Kaya Sariaho. In between, none. Stop it. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you for that. Um, we have a, another artist coming up named Tatiana Pandiani, who has a team of two women that she's co-writing with, and she's writing a new musical. And we had a similar discussion that I found really fascinating about the the state of the American musical theater. Um, we didn't talk about opera, but I appreciate your adding opera to the mix like that. And she talked about how it takes so long to write a show that yeah. it's... And, and that it takes so long for these changes to happen and um, that she feels like, from her perspective, that it is changing. Yeah, and I think it's changing, but I think there's still work to do. I, I belong to a, a group of uh, women composers that meets regularly to talk about these issues. And, um, you know, the, the lilies, of course, come up and the count that is uh, work by the theater community to try and address the problem of women playwrights. Like, mm -hmm. why aren't there so many women playwrights being produced? And, you know, the simple act of saying, here's a list of women playwrights. Mm -hmm. You can program these people's plays. That, that actually seems to have made a difference. And I know that there is a move among the classical music community to try and make a sort of a similar, easily accessible list of women composers. Uh, the composer Rob Deemer, who is up at SUNY Fredonia, made, has made a women composers database, and he's working on a composers of color database so that the excuse that there simply aren't any and how am I supposed to program mm -hmm. any, that just falls away. But I mean, I think that, that that's always been a challenge because people, we tend to think of people who are most like us. And so if you're just asked to think of who am I going to program off the top of my head and you're not someone who is a woman, you're not naturally going to think of women because that's not the way that we're programmed, really. That's interesting. Is that your cognitive psychology yes. degree coming up? <laughs> <laughs> uh, super. I would love to be on the list of people to get that list if you have access to this sure. individual. Who, it's online. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. send me the link. That's I exciting. Uh, I know there's the Kilroy's list for playwrights, and yes. I wasn't aware that there was one for um, composers as well. That's great. So the the showings are this Thursday and Friday. What is today? Is it the 5th? Today is Thursday, the 5th. Today's the, 5th. Yes. the showings are the 8th and the 9th at 7 o'clock. And how much content are you showing? About an hour's worth? Or? It's, a, it's a little over, an, I'd say maybe an hour and 20 minutes. Great. Lovely. So about an hour and 20 minutes, followed by a discussion. Um, the tickets are only $8 in advance, $12 at the door. There are tickets available. We just released a few more. So that's this Thursday and Friday, the 8th and 9th at 7 o'clock. Uh, we're so excited to have you working here. 
in residence and to have you part of the Brick family. Um, I hope this is the first of many collaborations. Um, it's been really lovely having you all here. Yes, we're really happy to be here. I'm very excited about this piece. And, you know, I hope you'll continue keeping us posted on, on the next iteration and the next workshop and let us continue to support you and the work. We're really excited about it. Thank you. Yeah, of course. So that's coming up this Thursday, Friday. Right after that, we have another Brick Lab that comes in right away. Um, Orlando and Ricardo will be here, their Brotherhood Dance. They're doing a piece called Afro Solo Man about food justice, and um, they're transforming the space, and they're going to have like pots and plants hanging and, and flour and food, and uh, it's going to be a big celebration. Uh, there'll be three different solos. Uh, and we can, we'll have him in the studio next week to talk more about that. And so that'll be on February, help me out, Elizabeth, 22nd and 23rd, I think? Yes. Yes. Great. So those are the next two Brick Labs coming up. Um, and then we have Brick House Sessions. Right. Yeah. So again, that artist, Makumba, will be the first show, and that's on the 22nd. And it is an eight-week program. And the last show will be the Knights, who are our artists in residence. The Knights! I almost forgot about the Knights. Kamala, have you ever seen the Knights perform? I have. Yes. Mark, have you seen the Knights perform? I have not. Oh, goodness. They are a dream. They were here over the weekend with acclaimed soprano Mary McKenzie. They performed uh, Reinbart Rhein- Deleuze in Wunderschönen Monet Mai. Um, forgive me if... Oh, I thought that was very... Hey, thank awesome. you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm working on it. Um, and that's actually a Grammy-nominated uh, piece that includes Schubert and Schumann, and they performed that uh, over the weekend. And what's so great about the Knights is that they also perform their concerts for young people, and they have these family matinees that are very relaxed, and they're young people of all ages, babies, toddlers, um, a little bit older, elementary school age, high school age, and... You know, they, they get a little rowdy, and maybe they cry, and maybe they leave, maybe they come back. And then sometimes the parents will walk the, follow the toddlers, like, up and down the steps, mm-hmm. just because that's yes, what the toddler needs that. to do, right? But th- during the concert, and that's just how it right. is. It's a relaxed family matinee. So the, that's a lovely thing that the Knights do, and they did that on Sunday, and it was a packed house, and it was uh, just a lovely, lovely day. And, yes, they'll close out Brick House Sessions on April 12th. Yes, and April 12th. And they'll have another family matinee on the 14th right yes uh super um anything else really pressing we should make sure everyone knows about we've got the brick labs we've got the knights we got macumba um i think yeah yeah brick house and the labs are the next yeah. the big spring so exciting yes kamala is there anything specific you're looking forward to or are you so in show mode that I nothing I, else I, exists? I, I can't think past this week <laughs> <laughs> It's like, what have I done to you? (laughs) This is really great and fun and exciting, but I also have totally taken up your entire life with this week of residency. That's all right. You know, it's it's kind of like, who could really complain that this is taking <laughs> my life? <laughs> it's okay, but it's a lot. It's a lot. It's an intense period of time. A lot of work gets done, but it's an intense period of time. Yes. Uh, so, Elizabeth, you had a question for us to close us out, right? Yeah, thoughts on the Super Bowl? If anyone was Patriots fan, <laughs> Eagles fan, no, like, underdogs, go underdogs. That's <laughs> oh, just just, just always go with the underdog. <laughs> I yeah, I hung out with a lot of. I'm from Massachusetts, oh, so I hung okay. out with a lot of disappointed Patriots fans last night. But I feel like they've had their time. They've won enough Super Bowls. Yeah, <laughs> passed. 
Pass the torch on to someone else. I just can't feel sorry for Tom Brady. No, I I'm, just can't. I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you. Um, <laughs> so good. I guess that's on the record now. <laughs> it's on the record. I mean, we can edit it out, but it's really juicy. No, I stand by what he said. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Mark, we haven't heard from you. I, uh, I'm sort of like a requisite. I, I I watch football, but not that frequently. And um, I think based on proximity, like I'm a Philly, I'm a mid-Atlantic Philly guy. So very happy to see them win. Um, somebody who doesn't follow football, I just, I just thought of Rocky a lot <laughs> while they were winning. And I just kept saying to myself, like, yeah, go Rocky. And then I was like, I had to stop myself. I feel like that's not. It's, it's from not, Philly. It's not Rocky. Philly. Like, <laughs> but it's the same city. It's like, he won too. Like, they're all winners. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How about you, BJ? Well, I uh, have a deep, deep-seated loathing for the Eagles as oh. a longtime Cowboys fan born and raised in Dallas. Oh. I never knew that. Someone told me this weekend that they yeah. had a big rivalry, and I had yeah. no idea. Oh, huge. Yeah, Enormous. I didn't know that. Enormous. Uh, you're, you're, you are simply raised in this manner, and so it's hard to watch them win. Uh, apologies, everyone out there. Uh, there's no reason behind it. It's so arbitrary. Why do we feel this way about sports teams? It, I, yeah. I mean, yeah. really, I got nothing against Foles. He seems like a nice guy. But for some, I think it's Cowboys fans. I think it's particular. <laughs> it's just you. It's just you. No, because my my partner is also from Dallas, so mm. he's the same. And I don't, you know, like, I grew up in San Diego. I don't care about the Chargers. I mean, they're not in San Diego anymore, so I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's also on the record now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's so your partner's a Cowboys fan. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so we could be buddies. You could. We could. It's you a, could. It's an in fact, connection. maybe I will send him to you on those days. He's yes. like, please watch the Cowboys game. Like, oh, I don't want to watch the Cowboys oh. game. But yeah. Oh, so he's still watching. So they have broken our hearts for oh, yes. a long time now. He hasn't now. given up on oh. them. Oh, good for him. I know. Yeah. It's, it's, been, it's been a tough, tough, we've had a tough road to hoe the past few years. Um, but uh, same with you, Kamala. It's hard to feel sorry for Tom Brady. Like, it's, uh, it's actually refreshing to watch a football game when you don't really care about the outcome. Because <laughs> then you're just really interested in the plays and, and it was a really exciting game. Right. So it was fun. I mean, I enjoy just watching all my friends' reactions and how intense they and how much they got into it. And got so upset. That was what to me was more fascinating than watching the game. Yeah, <laughs> like Kamala was trying to like watch audience reactions. Right. Exactly. <laughs> There's an idea for the next show. <laughs> Did you watch it, Kamala? Were you? No, were you we were rehearsing. That's right. You yeah. were here. Yeah. Oh yes. Uh, again, sorry about that. That's all right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, again, it was so lovely to have you in the studio. It's so lovely to have you here at Brick right now. We're so excited about the piece. And everyone come this Thursday and Friday at 7 o'clock. Uh, let's, let's close out here with a little bit more music. Elizabeth, what are we this outroing to? This is another track by Makumba. So awesome. again, uh, February 22nd, stop by for First Brick House. So fun. Thanks for listening to The Rundown.
Mama, 